It's a message that Paul, I want to say that, that Paul, when I think sometimes about the life that he lived after his encounter with God, there was nothing about it that was easy. And what continued to motivate Paul was the hope that he had within him that for him, what he encountered in life was something that he said, it's amazing to be counted worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ because of the hope that Paul had for what lay ahead. Ephesians 3, and I want to jump into that this morning. Um, And I'm going to read the first uh, eight or so verses. Um, Most of... um, My message um, this morning is going to be about Paul, um, about who he was, a bit about his life and his passion for what God called him to do. Ephesians 3, when I think of all this, and when he says that, he's referring to what Stephen Warkington talked about last week, the fact that God had chosen Paul to declare the mysteries of God, the mystery of salvation to everyone who would believe that it wasn't specific to a a race, a group of people, that in fact the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for everyone. And so he says, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, which would include everybody who is at that point, and even today, non-Jewish, assuming by the way that, you know, God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. And as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. And he repeats it, both Gentiles and Jews. Basically, he's saying to all who will believe the good news will share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the same promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I, Paul, have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Though, and this is a a theme Paul often repeats, though I am the least deserving Of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Uh, I want to admit that when I started looking at this um, chapter a few weeks ago, I was not sure what to do with it. Um, And part of me even thought, well, maybe we'll just move directly ahead to chapter 4, because chapter 4 seems very clear Um, But it's probably not fair to Paul and probably not fair to this letter. Uh, And in a way, in these verses, Paul is talking about himself. And I think it's probably because likely in Ephesus, there are new Christians, there are probably new believers who may have heard about Paul, but maybe have never met him. And so Paul talks a little bit about who He was who he is, and God's call in his life. And if you read most of the letters that Paul wrote, you will read similar accounts. 
Um, this is who I once was. This is kind of what I did. But God, in a dramatic way, intercepted my life and gave me a specific role to play within God's plan for mankind, a role for all people. And it's a story that Paul often recounted, sometimes before judges and magistrates in a court of law, uh, sometimes before, uh, you might say, the philosophers and thinkers of the day, sometimes before rulers, sometimes before the already religious Jewish leaders who never liked what Paul had to say in the same way they never liked what Jesus had to say. And Paul often recounted his story before the church, how God called him, chose him, even though he would say, I was the most unlikely, most unworthy of candidates to communicate the mysteries of God. And it's the phrase, mysteries of God, that Paul often chooses to use. He used this mystery in chapter 2, a mystery about how the spiritual eyes of people can truly be opened, that people's hearts can be open to the reality of God and the potential to be reborn spiritually, that God continues to reconcile people like you and me to himself through Jesus Christ. And Stephen uh, last week shared how this mystery, this message is for everyone. And it's interesting, Paul was not alone in this mission. There were other apostles preaching the same message in 1 John 1, verse 10 to 12. It says this, he, Jesus, came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people which I understand as a reference to the nation of Israel, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. It was Paul's mission to declare that becoming a child of God was available to everyone, no barriers, no qualifiers, no special set of criteria other than to accept that Jesus was truly the Son of God, that Jesus bore my sins upon the cross, that the cross of Christ represents payment for my sins. And if I humbly confess my sins before him, Jesus, it says, is faithful and he is justified to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, that Jesus himself has become my access, your access to our Heavenly Father. It's a mystery of redemption. It's a mystery of salvation. It's called the good news, and it's for everyone. That we embrace the same God. We have been set free by the same cross of Christ. We share in the same victory of the empty tomb, and we are indwelt with the same spirit of the living God. And I think it's a beautiful picture of who we are and who the church is. And it's interesting that Paul at times asks the question, although maybe in slightly different language, he says, God, why me? Why did you choose me? 
Why would you choose a man whose mission in life had been to persecute the church? Why would you choose someone who actually hated those followers of the way, someone who truly hated Christians? And Paul would say, you know what? I was one of those spiritually blind, spiritually dead people that I referred to earlier in in this letter. And it's not that Paul didn't have strong, you might say, religious convictions, because he did. Prior to his encounter with God, Paul had very strong spiritual and religious convictions, but they were misguided. And there are many today who would say they have strong spiritual religious convictions who are equally misguided, and sometimes tragically so. And we're all too familiar with examples of people whose religious convictions somehow give them license to do things that seem incomprehensible. To some degree, Paul would have fit into that category prior to his encounter with God. His religious convictions included the persecution, the binding up of anybody who was a follower of Christ and even made that seem the right thing to do. And sometimes the spiritually misguided act out with very little understanding even of their own faith. And I think it's why sometimes the, the extremes or fringe elements in almost every religious group generally distort the true tenets of their faith. And people of many religious persuasions would say, please don't paint us with that brush. And the Christian faith is not without its fringe elements. People who we would say, we would probably discount them and say, please don't count us in. Don't paint us with that brush. When I think about the life that we are called to as children of God, or the descriptors that the Bible uses in terms of what should our life look like as children of God, I think they are beautifully spelled out in the Ten Commandments, which we looked at not that long ago. They are beautifully laid out by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. They are beautifully laid out in the letters that Paul writes about what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God. A life characterized by love, kindness, peace, patience, self-control. And I think, you know, there is nothing about that way of life that has anything but positive potential to speak into people's lives or into the world. And if Paul fanatically lived out his misguided spiritual beliefs prior to his encounter with God, he embraced his new calling with equal passion. But it's interesting, it was no longer fueled by hatred, It was no longer something that included violence. It was no longer 
something that had in it some sense of spiritual self-righteousness. And it's why Paul always continues to call himself at times the worst of sinners. Why did God choose me? And yet God grabs Paul. At that time he was called Saul. He grabs him on a road while he's walking. His intent is to continue persecuting God interrupts his life and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul replies, who are you, Lord? The Lord says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. We know that story. Most of our conversion experiences do not rival Paul's. I believe Paul truly had such a special calling from God. But Paul is left blind and is led by the hand to Damascus where he remains without sight for three days until Ananias reluctantly lays hands on him and Paul's sight returns. And that conversation with Ananias... And the Lord is very, I would call it a very frank and prophetic conversation. It's recorded in Acts 9, verse 13. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here in Damascus, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name. And it's interesting, before the Gentiles, before kings, before also the sons of Israel. In in essence, he's saying, I have chosen him to open up the mystery of God to everybody who will believe. And then he ends this with this line. For I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And I know when I read that, it kind of jumped out at me. I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And even as Paul writes this letter, he is experiencing exactly what God had predicted. He's in chains. He's not been a free man for likely several years. He continues to sort of be waiting for a fair and just trial. And I thought about those words, I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. And part of me thought, is God, in a way, getting even because of what Paul had done to his followers? Is that line a comment about a God who is, in a way, exercising Revengeance, shall we say? And the more I thought about it, the more it seemed to me that those are not where the heart of God came from. That those words did not come from an angry God. 
but they are words from a loving God to Paul, a man he brought from darkness in a glorious light. You might say he blinded Paul's physical eyes in order to open his eyes to the reality of life in Christ. Paul knew what it meant to go from spiritual darkness to spiritual life. He knew what it meant to be spiritually dead and spiritually alive. And God's call to him is to share that with the rest of the world. You know, I think if, if the heart of God was intended to sort of make Paul pay for what he did, I think we would get a sense in Paul's life that he would say that. But everything that Paul suffered, and it's an amazing phrase, Paul says, I count it but joy. And I think prior to his encounter with God, Paul likely would have enjoyed a certain level of power, of prestige, of uh, influence within the church. He likely was well-respected within religious Jewish circles, and he likely lived a pretty decent life. And what follows for Paul is not a life of ease, not a life characterized by health or wealth or success, but a life of persecution. We know from especially reading through Acts that Paul repeatedly faced the threat of death. At one point, he was stoned and actually left for dead. He suffered unjust beatings. He was imprisoned without cause. And yet somehow Paul counted all this as gain. I don't think that meant that he enjoyed what he suffered. But to be counted worthy, that it was actually a privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ. And when I think about Christianity in a North American context, um, I think we have to sometimes guard against um, a tendency to characterize the Christian walk, the Christian call, as one that is intended to include health, wealth, and success. And I find myself thinking at times, um, Paul might say, you know, that understanding of faith actually seems quite shallow. It seems quite self-centered, and perhaps even more specifically, it seems very earthly focused. And I think there's a tendency for that to sort of color some of our North American perception about the life that we walk in Christ. Yes, we do bring our cares, our concerns in our life before our Heavenly Father. The Bible asks us to do that. We pray for people who are ill. We pray for people who are looking for work. We pray for people in very many different situations of life, and we pray for the hand of God, the peace of God, the presence of God in those situations. But I think if the strength of my faith or if my confidence is somehow tied to whether I feel like I'm 
doing well in this world, my faith really becomes me-focused and earth-focused. And I think Paul would say, your hope is lying at the wrong place. You're putting your hope in things that are temporal, that are going to pass away. You need to know that your faith is in Jesus Christ and the hope that lies within. And it's interesting that Paul's faith never disappointed him. And you might say, well, how can that be? Look at what he went through. Paul's faith, I don't think, ever disappointed him. Because he was focused on the prize, his internal inheritance. And for the rest of his earthly life, he endured and suffered for Christ in ways that most of us will never, ever understand. And you might well have expected Paul to, on occasion, have asked, what have I gotten myself into? What have I done? This conversion experience is not working out extremely well. But you know, if Paul ever felt that way, he never expressed it. Rather, he took every beating, every false accusation, every imprisonment as somehow being counted worthy to share in the sufferings of Christ. And it's interesting, in a passage that he wrote to younger Timothy, who was also involved in sharing the gospel and in church work, he said in 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 to 12, and he's talking to a younger, a younger man, also called by God. He says, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it, for I know, and this is a great line from an old hymn, I know the one, I know Jesus in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard, to protect what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Credible encouragement Paul gives to Timothy. You know, there are probably many incredible stories of Christians who, who have died a martyr's death and continue probably to do so on earth here, today, who also shared Paul's convictions Jesus went to the cross not kicking and screaming. Jesus went to the cross. He said, Father, not my will but yours. And it says he went as a lamb 
to the slaughter. Except that Jesus would have known what the cross meant. And I think it's such a stark contrast, the Christian faith, the Christian call, the Christian life. Such a stark contrast to those who are willing to take someone else's life in order to gain a heavenly reward for themselves. And Paul believed fully what he wrote to the Ephesian church in chapter 1. I belong to God. I am loved by God. The Spirit of God is my strength and my confidence. I have an eternal inheritance waiting for me. So for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And my mother-in-law is anticipating that gain. And Paul would say, I'm going to hang in for God. I'm going to hang in for faith, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because any minute God is going to somehow cause me to prosper here on earth. I'm going to hang in there, be faithful to my calling because of the joy, the hope, the prize that's set before me. And Paul might well ask me this morning, he might say, so Doug, what would it mean for you to boldly proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ in Lake Country or Kelowna? Would you be imprisoned? Likely not. Would you suffer beatings? Likely not. Would you be hauled into court on trumped-up charges? Likely not. Would you be ridiculed? Possibly. And I think Paul might say, Doug, if that is the worst of your persecutions, why are you so silent? When I think about this letter, it's probably written only a few years before Paul's death. There were many Christians who were martyred during the reign of, of Nero, and some say that the Christians themselves were the scapegoats for the fire that destroyed Rome, and that many Christians were killed during that time, and many say that Paul likely, in that time or shortly thereafter, was likely beheaded. And it would have been a fate suffered by many other Christians at the time, and maybe when Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian church, he knows that he may never ever see them again. And one of the things that stood out for me in this passage is that Paul, as I read this, it's as if he passes the torch on to share the gospel, he gives it to the church. Paul knows perhaps that his unique call may be coming to an end and it's a call that God now gives to his church. In other parts of Ephesians, Paul talks about the fact that God has chosen through history to speak sometimes through the prophets. Uh, that would be especially the case in the Old Testament. Through his apostles, in other sections of Ephesians, he talks about Jesus being the cornerstone of our faith and that the 
apostles and the prophets form the foundation, and we are the stones that are continually being built up that form God's church here on earth. And God is now seeking to proclaim his truth, his reality, his salvation through you and me. Just as though Paul is saying to the church, carry the torch, be bold, be confident, continue to make known the riches of God in Christ Jesus, that we, the church, are God's tool. In other parts of the New Testament, it says we are his ambassadors, and I like that term. And in Ephesians here, he says we are to make known his, the name of Jesus, glorious name to rulers, to authorities in the heavenly places, that God seeks to speak with power through his church. And he wants you and he wants me to be involved in that. And I think it's quite a challenge. If I read the last part of what I want to read this morning, Ephesians 3, probably this is about from verse 9, I believe. Paul said, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That as a church, we are continued to speak. We are asked to continue to speak to the victory of the cross and the empty tomb. We are asked to confound the spiritual forces of this world with the victory and power of the risen Lord. I think that's an amazing statement that I will admit I do not fully understand. But it's, it's as if God says the church speaks into the spiritual forces that are at work in the heavenly realm and that are at work trying to manifest themselves here on earth in the life of people. The church is asked to speak into that, the power of God. And beyond that, the church is called to proclaim the glorious riches available to those who are children of God. That we are asked to speak into a fallen world. Sometimes the church can be quite good at serving those who are already saved or catering to those who are already converted. And, and part of that is good. I think The Bible teaches us we need to build each other up. We need to do good works within the church. But sometimes I think we do that because we're not sure how to do the going into the harvest part very well. Sometimes it's the easier sort of of those two options. We can figure out some good things to do within the church, not quite sure how to take it out there. So I ask sometimes, who is actually putting themselves out there for the cause of Christ? Who is speaking good news into the hearts and minds of lost people? 
To act as an ambassador for Christ, I think, may come with some ridicule. Uh, It may come at times with some resentment. It's interesting, usually an ambassador is asked to serve in a country to which he does not necessarily belong. And I think in a Christian context, it's actually very true. That we are asked to be ambassadors to a world in which we actually no longer truly identify. That we are asked to speak as children of the kingdom of God into a lost kingdom of this world. And it is about being salt, about being light. And I think the quote comes from the Old Testament. It's about being a messenger, it says, whose feet bring good news. It's interesting to me sometimes that when I look in the miracles that Jesus performed and the apostles worked incredible miracles through the power that God gave them, very often those miracles were exercised carried out within the context of people who were apart from faith. Not necessarily so much within the comfortable confines of the church, that in very many cases, miracles were performed so that they might believe. I sometimes wonder what miracles might be out there if we boldly were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that God would give us a depth and understanding of his love for us. I think that's where it starts, and I think that's where it was for Paul, uh, that Paul was just so convinced of the gospel that he shared May God give us a depth and understanding of what it means to be faithful to him in spite of circumstances in our life. Romans 10, 14, 15, and I feel like I've been talking for too long already, but the end is near. Romans 10, 14, 15. How can they call on him to save them? And he's talking about the lost world unless they actually believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, and I said this before, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. I think if the message we were to proclaim was not good news, I could understand the hesitation. The message we have to share is not doom and gloom. It's not condemnation and judgment. It's a message of God's love through Jesus Christ. So this morning, I just pray for us as individuals. I pray for us as a church that God would give us those kind of feet that God would motivate us and challenge us to be the kind of people willing to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, There's no question that we are surrounded by a world that does not know him. Um, Many people in secular culture really have no idea at all 
And I just pray that God would help us, even as a church at Creekside, figure out, ask him, motivate us to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to say thank you for this gathering of your church here, Creekside and Lake Country. Uh, Father, I want to thank you that you have called us from darkness to light, from spiritual death to spiritual life. I want to thank you, God, for the truth of the cross and of the empty tomb, the risen Lord. I want to thank you for the hope that lies within each one of us. And Father, I know we so easily are um, sometimes distracted by the things of this world. Father, would you speak into our life and to our heart? Father, would you make us willing to step out for the cause of Christ? That, Father, it may be good for us to learn a little bit about what it means to suffer and to share in your sufferings. And, Father, so I pray that you would open us up to the work of your spirit in our life and that we would proclaim the good news of the gospel. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.